so much. I love a good sense of humor. I think anybody that knows me knows uh, that is true. I love to be around people who have good senses of humor. I think a sense of humor uh, comes from the Lord. I really do. And um, I know good humor can, like anything, be turned into coarse joking or inappropriate speech. But the truth is, good, clean humor lightens all of our days. Now, I don't know why, but the more chronologically blessed I become in life, um, I seem to get more and more <laughs> jokes, uh, birthday cards, which can be merciless, <laughs> and notes from people that have to do with aging. And someone even sent me years ago uh, a, a series of articles <laughs> about what had to be changed when John Glenn went back into space at age 77. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the first time he went to space, first man, first American in space, 1962. But you may not remember that he went back into space at age 77 in 1998. But NASA had to make some changes to the space shuttle or so. I am told. First of all, they had to set the shuttle thermostat interior to 80 degrees. They had to install a shuffleboard in the cargo bay. Uh, they had to get early bird specials from the cafeteria included on the menu. Um, there was one monitor in there specifically turned to reruns of Matlock. Another change, little bowls of candy were strategically located randomly all over the ship. And then the top speed of the shuttle was set at 25 miles an hour. <laughs> I like that. They also had to install a new bifocal windshield. That's not funny. That's just not funny. But then the space pants now had to go all the way up to the armpits. I don't like that. Uh, that's not good. But then the last one, the left blinker was left on for the entire mission. Okay, make jokes about those of us who are getting more and more chronologically blessed as the days go by. Well, we do like good jokes, good clean jokes, we do. And we know, however, they don't bring deep down joy, they bring momentary laughter. The big difference in being a follower of Christ is we're not always having to seek just momentary happiness, but a deep down joy. In fact, the world does not understand that. The world cannot even comprehend it. And so the world's goal and desire is always seeking some kind of momentary happiness. Well, John talks in our passage today a great deal about that deep down joy. And I want you to focus with me today on that deep down joy because uh, the momentary happiness that is often our goal is incorrect and it ought to be that deep down joy that comes from a relationship with the Lord. The video that we saw earlier was so poignant and powerful about surrendering to Him so that we can have that deep down joy and not just an obligatory duty kind of Christianity. So turn with me to John chapter 16, beginning with verse 16, going through verse 22. It's a relatively short passage today. John chapter 16, beginning with 
16, going through 22. Stay with me, okay? All right, chapter 16, verse 16. It says, a little while. Now, I'm going to focus on that later, but remember that phrase. A little while, and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while, and you will not see me, and, and you will see me. Therefore, some of the disciples said to one another, What is this he tells us? In other words, what's he talking about? What is this that he tells us? A little while and you will not see me again. Again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they said, What is this he's saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew they wanted to question him. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I said, about what I said? A little while and you'll not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Verse 20, I assure you, you will weep and you will wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she will no longer remember the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you will have sorrow. You also will have sorrow now. But I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. This text that I've just read to you concludes what is called the upper room discourse. Soon we will see things quickly move toward the cross. But it deals a great deal with the emotions of the disciples. The video that I've already referenced earlier, Sean, also talked about various emotions that we have. And the disciples were experiencing confusion, sorrow, they were experiencing fear. Uh, they were real men, real men with real problems. Sometimes we think that somehow the disciples were a cut above us. They were extraordinary Christians. They were different than you and me. Well, I assure you, they were just like you and me. And they were struggling. But there's still this recurring theme of joy. But now they weren't experiencing much joy that night. So Jesus uses this as the great teacher to teach them and you and me. And he said, I want to teach you something about joy. And so tenderly he takes his disciples and he says, I want to teach you something special. It's important, so listen carefully to how you can find joy that will transcend momentary happiness, uh, a funny joke told here or there. I want to tell you how you can have a real joy. And he explains it to them three things quickly this morning. First of all, God brings joy to our lives not by substitution, but by what? Transformation. Say that sentence out loud with me. God brings joy to our lives not by, but by. This is very, very important. And Jesus, here in verse 21, uses an illustration that not a single man in this place can understand. 
He uses the illustration of a woman giving forth birth. Now, I've never done that. I've talked to some women who have, and they've told me the only thing close a man could ever have is having a kidney stone, and I've not even had one of those. But they, the women say, I've had both, and I'd rather have a baby. Well, I'm not sure that's true, and I'll tell you why. Because here the illustration is so clear. You see, the baby that caused the pain caused the joy. The baby, the same baby that causes the pain, brings forth the joy. Now let me tell you, man, you got to be careful if you're around a woman who's about to give birth. She can hurt you. I mean, she can grab a hold to you and put a hurting on you because the pain is horrendous. There's no other way to say it. It is awful. It is horrendous. And you can get hurt in those situations, just warning you. But interestingly, God does not use substitution to bring about that joy. That He, he uses what's there already. He transforms it. You see, he takes this baby that's brought this pain. And one of the most beautiful things in the world is to see a newborn baby laying on top of that mother. Because let me tell you something. That pain that that baby brought forth has immediately transformed into the greatest, sweetest, most serene joy that I've ever seen. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. I felt somewhat like that when I finished my dissertation. But I'm telling you, it's nothing like that which caused pain now brings joy. But you got to understand, God teaches us here something powerful. It's not about substitution. It's about transformation. There's the illustration of a child with a new toy. The child breaks the toy. So what if mama or daddy constantly go buy that child, I'll buy you a new one. Well, I'm telling you, Grandpa, that's what we do. Honey, I'll buy you a new one. I'll buy you ten of them if that's what you want. But that, if you keep doing that and keep replacing and substituting that, the child will never learn reality. They will never learn, don't break it the next time. They will never learn how to appreciate anything. And so everybody that gets a new toy, it's not solved by substitution, but by transforming the situation. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. You see, second, the way of substitution for solving problems is not the way of maturity, but it's the way of immaturity. I want you to read this out loud with me also. Okay, let's start. The way of substitution for solving problems is the way of immaturity. The way of transformation is the way of what? Faith and maturity. This is important. We can never, we can never, now listen, we cannot mature emotionally or spiritually if somebody's always replacing our broken toys. But yet most of us spend most of our prayer life asking God to replace our broken toys. God, if you could just get rid of this woman. And get me a better one. God, if you could just get me out of this job and get me a better one. God, if you could just get me out of this education, get me in a better one. We always, 
It's not true. Almost always are praying for a replacement of some kind. We cannot mature emotionally or spiritually if somebody's always replacing our broken toys. You see, what God is teaching us here is this baby was not replaced. This baby transformed the pain into joy. See, God takes seemingly impossible situations. Now listen carefully to this. God takes seemingly impossible, listen to me, impossible situations, adds the miracle of His grace, and then transforms trial into triumph and sorrow into joy. If you learn this principle, if I learn that principle, we go away from here wealthy, wealthy people. You see, God does that, doesn't He? He takes seemingly impossible situations that we beg Him to get us out of. Now, we got ourselves into it, but God, I need you to get me out of it. He takes seemingly impossible situations and then He adds the miracle of His grace and transforms that trial into triumph, that sorrow into joy. Think about Joseph that Brother Kevin preached on some time back for us. Here he was, sold into slavery by his brothers. Taken as a slave to Potiphar's house and then God turned for good that which was meant for evil. King David had to run for years from King Saul. Well, he would become King David from King Saul. And yet God used those terrible experiences to make up some of the most beautiful psalms that we have to this day. God can take what's wrong in your life and turn it into something good. Most of us don't really believe that. Makes a good sermon point. But does it really affect my life? Does it fit in my life? If we understand the importance of this principle of transformation, not substitution, we go away from here mature. We go away from here strong. We grow away from here wealthy in the right sense. But it's the way of maturity. It's not the easy way. The easy way is always replacement and substitution. But the mature way is saying, God, what can you do through it? It relieves us of the burden of constantly seeking replacement to a deep down, long-lasting joy. I thought about it. I thought about it. Well, God, how, how, can I, how can I see that transformation? And how can I see it happen in my life? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to stop. So there's going to be three words I want you to take away. Stop, focus, wait. Stop just begging for God to replace every bad situation in your life. Stop it. That's the way of immaturity. That's the way of childishness. Don't do it. Stop it. Quit just saying, God, get me out of the mess that I brought onto myself. Focus on what you might learn in that situation. Focus on the strength God might bring to you. Focus on the lessons that he might teach you and you might learn even in the midst of the difficulty. Remember what Paul said later in another place? 
He prayed for God to remove that thorn in his flesh. He prayed how many times? Three. Most of you have prayed 3,000 times in 24 hours. But he said, no, I've learned that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Stop begging always for replacement. Focus on the lessons that can be learned and on that strength that can come even in the midst of that trial. And then third, wait. Wait to see what God is going to do. And that brings us to my third major point. You see, the application of this principle is found in verse 16, the little while. You see what he said? little while, you're going to see me no more. In a little while, you're going to see me. Well, these boys got so confused, they didn't know what was going on. They, they didn't know, what's he telling us? So they got amongst themselves to try to figure it out. Well, you know what that happened, What happens when you do that? You just exchange ignorance. And I'm convinced that's why most of you need to turn the TV off. Because what you're listening to on the radio and the TV, even Fox News, is the exchange of ignorance. People sharing their opinions. People talking and talking and talking. I get tired of that much talking. I get tired of my own talking. People say, do you go back and listen to our, your sermons on the internet? Never. Oh, I used to. I used to. Why did you say that? Why did you pronounce that word that way? What is wrong with you? So I got all that straightened out. I don't listen to it anymore. <laughs> instead of talking to the Father, instead of going to Jesus, who was still with them, they just exchanged ignorance. And Jesus knew. He knew that they were doing this. And so he said, now boys, I know what you're talking about. Let me just tell you, in a little while I'm going to be gone. But in a little while you're going to see me again. Now some posit that perhaps Jesus was referring to his impending death, burial, and resurrection. That soon he was going to die and go away. But I believe that even more so what he is talking about is asking Jesus about his return to the Father and his second coming. I believe even more he was talking about the fact that he was going to return to the Father and they would not see him until they went to see him in death. And indeed they did see him again when they died. And guess what? When you go be with the Lord, you may think you've lived a long time on this earth, it's just a little while. You see, because with God, a day is, a thousand years is like a day. So you hadn't quite lived a thousand years. He's going to say, it's not even lunchtime. Good to see you. It's just been a little while. You see, as we wait to see what God is going to do, you've got to also wait with the realization that it's just a little while. It's just a little while. And so to the mother experiencing birth pains, every minute might seem like hours. And there are circumstances that may seem long. 
When you go to my favorite place, the dentist's office, every minute may seem lengthy, no doubt about it, but listen to me, it's just a little while. You see, our concept of time changes our feelings. Our concept of time changes our feelings. You see, the world today, he says, does not want us, does not want the church. And it rejoices while we're suffering and rejoices while we're waiting. And he can use the little while for his glory. A little while he will return. A little while we'll go to heaven and enjoy the Father's house. God does not measure time like we do as we wait. We must deal with the trials and hurts of this life for a little while. But we must deal with them on the basis of what did I say? Transformation, not substitution. So what's going on in your life that you would like in your humanness to say, God, get me out of this. I don't pretend to be God. I don't pretend to know everything. And he might get you out of it. Maybe that's a part of his perfect plan, but maybe... A part of his perfect plan is to say, while you're waiting the little while, I just want to see what you're going to learn. I want to see the strength that you're going to grow into during this little while. Stop, learn, focus, and wait. Stop, focus, or learn. Let's all be people who seek the way of maturity, seeking transformation, not just substitution. Okay, disciples, in a little while I'm going to be gone. But in a little while you're going to see me again. Finally they began to understand. He didn't really leave us. But he's just going to be gone for a little while. Pray with me, please. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your powerful and precious word. And Lord, as we come now to this time of committing our lives to you in this Lord's Supper time, I pray, God, that you would be very near and real to us. Speak to our hearts. Convict us of our constant need for substitution. And God, help us to be all about transformation. In Jesus' name, amen.